Well, we begin this morning by setting some of the context here for the ministry of Zephaniah. We know Zephaniah speaks these words in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. We see that in verse 1. We know a bit about the reign of Josiah. We can find uh, Scripture's testimony to that reign in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. It's really a marvelous window in the history of the church, isn't it? It's a time period of revival and reformation spiritually. The kings prior to Josiah, Ammon and Manasseh, were marked by profound evil in their reigns, rebellion against God, leading the people into and celebrating idolatry. The covenant people had known the Lord's redemption. They had all the riches of the Old Testament gospel of God's salvation that they had received to that point. And yet, under their kings and in themselves, many had walked away from the Lord. And yet, despite all of that grievous wickedness, in Josiah's days, by God's grace, things changed for the better. We know when he was 16, Josiah began to seek the face of God, the God of his father David. And by the time he's 20, he starts this purge uh, to bring reformation and change in Jerusalem and Judah to remove the pagan idols and false worship. And a few years later is the discovery of the book of the law in the temple. And Josiah is even more deeply convicted of his own sin, of the corporate sin of the people. We read this, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. He commanded Hilkiah, the priest, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Akbor, the son of Micaiah, and Asiah, the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people, for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Well, we don't know exactly where in the reign of Josiah that Zephaniah receives uh, this word from the Lord that he's called to proclaim. Uh, Some commentators believe perhaps it was right around this time, the discovery of the book of the law, and we see in Zephaniah chapter 1, we'll see that he He makes a lot of reference to Deuteronomy chapter 28, uh, where the Lord lays out both covenant blessings and curses and warnings, and some of those things will come to pass. Uh, But but it is clear in either case, uh, whether it was at that point or later on, uh, that uh, there was a great need among the Lord's people to hear a sober warning, a sober reminder of the Lord's coming judgments. And so let's turn to look at the content together now of what the Lord said by Zephaniah, Zephaniah his servant. We receive a little description, a little biography of Zephaniah in 1 verse 1. We see this lineage. It's likely that he was descended from Hezekiah the king. But what's central in that first verse is the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah. This is the word of the covenant Lord of his people. The one who is the I am, that is I am. And so what is it that he speaks? What does he say? Look with me to verse 2. 
There we read this. I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls, the birds of the heaven, the fishes of the sea, the stumbling blocks with the wicked. And I will cut off man from off the land, says the Lord. The Lord's words here really echo both his word in Genesis in creation and his words to Noah at that point of his great and mighty judgment. We think of the creation order, of the way, the order in which God created the heavens and the earth and all that dwell in them. God's creation order was to make man last. And in his own image, after creating the fish, the birds, the beasts. Here, Zephaniah brings the word of the Lord. And as the word of the Lord comes uh, to uh, the people, to us, we see the Lord declaring that his judgment begins with man. It begins with man whose sin and evil have defaced and distorted his creation and rebellion against him. And then even the, the animal world is included in this great judgment. And there's this uh, great repetition here as well. I will consume. I will consume uh, the stumbling blocks with the wicked. I will cut off man from the land or from the earth, says the Lord. These verses here, this opening verse, and what we see in 2 and 3 here together, these two verses, uh, really present us with a wide picture of God's judgment. The picture here is not simply of the covenant nation. Well, this is a global picture. And this is really the way this uh, prophecy begins in chapter 1. The structure of it begins with global judgment and ends again in verse 18 with global judgment. This holy justice of the Lord that is coming upon the earth. These are really the bookends uh, of the chapter that surround it. Our God is holy, infinitely holy. And we read in Hebrews that he is the one who is a consuming fire. Not long ago, I read a quote that said, uh, if God has created the sun, which is over 90 miles, 90 million miles away from us, and its heat uh, can burn our skin and uh, blind our eyes, uh, what then does it mean for our God to be a consuming fire? He's created the sun in all its glory and brilliance. What must it mean that the infinite and eternal and holy God is a consuming fire? This is just one small part of his creation that we feel and sense. Well, the Lord is holy. He sees sin and evil for what they are, destructive and malevolent, opposed to all that is good, all that is faithful and loving and holy. And the Lord in his justice will not allow evil to continue without end. He is just. And his justice is always fully and completely exercised in the end. Well, after declaring the inescapable global reality of coming justice 
and judgment on this world. As Zephaniah, as he's led by the Spirit, now zooms in. Uh, the Lord, as he speaks, is moving from a reminder to all who hear the word of this coming cataclysmic judgment upon the earth uh, to move in uh, specifically from the, the evil and the sin of mankind in general to the evil in and of his church, of his covenant people. Now, the sober reality is that this movement of the text, uh, the Lord's word here, really indicates to us a, a sober uh, intensification to us of warning. Now, there is a judgment here that is coming sooner than the final judgment. And it's coming upon those whose evil is of greatest height in the Lord's sight. Judah and Jerusalem. Look with me to verse 4, 5, and 6. I will also stretch out mine hand upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place, the name of the Camarims with the priests, them that worship the host of heaven on the housetops, them that worship and swear by the Lord and that swear by Malcolm, and them that have turned back from the Lord, those who have not sought the Lord nor inquired for him or of him. The fact that the Lord's word here begins and speaks out to Judah and Jerusalem is something that as we read this text should make us quiet. Again, realizing this, this is the covenant people of the Lord. This is the church of the Old Testament. And as the Lord speaks here in verses 4 through 6, he specifies that those whom he is going to uh, stretch out his hand against, uh, those whom he is going to bring to judgment. And there's a progression as we see this description by the Lord of his covenant people, really from more flagrant rejection to more subtle rejection of him. If you look with me to verse six, 4, sorry, and we see there he says, I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place. There are those who, despite the Lord's grace and mercies as a tender shepherd of his people in the Old Testament, despite all the riches of the sacrifices and prophecies that pointed to the coming Messiah, those who had openly turned from him to engage in the public worship of Baal. This false god, this Canaanite god of virility, fertility, and success, a Baal worship, it was really a, a holistic way of life that included the celebration of sexual hedonism and the pursuit of and the promise and hope of wealth. Well, the Lord specifically mentions those uh, here as we move on in the text who have devoted themselves to really become priests to this idolatry. Those who have taken leadership in this from among those who would be named as part of his people, his church. We see the Kamara mentioned. 
and uh, the, the priests, these are those who are idolatrous priests involved in this worship from among the covenant people. As Zephaniah uh, goes on to mention, those who had devoted themselves to the worship of planets and stars on their rooftops, it seems a more home-based kind of paganism, which again was a common trend and practice of the time. And then from these who it seems have more openly walked away from the Lord, he turns to another category in verse 5. The end of verse 5, there are those who worship and swear by the Lord and that swear by Malcolm. Those who are syncretizing, blending together, going through the motions of Christian worship, and at the same time devoted to the worship of Malcolm, tied in with Baal worship, tied in with the sacrifice of their infants and children, uh, in the midst of a celebration of sexual hedonism, abusing and even murdering their children and infants while claiming piety at the same time. Just sober, a sober warning here. Diane Langberg, a speaker who's done a number of talks on, on dealing with abuse, in one of her talks, uh, she speaks of uh, having visited a place in East Africa, sorry, West Africa, not East Africa, uh, where there was this colonial chapel uh, built over a dungeon that would hold the slaves that would be sent off across the sea. And in this chapel, above this horrific dungeon, uh, people would gather just ostensibly in worship services. Uh, the same people who would then take part in this great, great evil. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a sober warning for us here. The mingling of the pursuit of wickedness, of evil, with a claim to Christianity. One that, as we reflect on this, we need to think about our own day and the equivalence of Baal worship and Moloch worship and the patterns that we see in this day, uh, these syncretisms. Uh, for instance, we cannot hold on uh, to uh, things like pornography and at the same time be claiming uh, to lead in gospel ministry or to live as Christians. Those two things cannot go hand in hand. The one is a gross evil uh, tied into the trafficking of humans to sexual slavery, the abuse of individuals, a violation of the beauty and goodness of what God has made, the beauty of His creation, ordinance for marriage and sexuality. As the Lord looks upon the church in, in our generation, uh, how often isn't there the same kind of mingling? And we think of the roots of it also in our own hearts in various ways. Uh, the love of wealth, the pursuit of pleasure apart from the Lord. Well, as Zephaniah walks through these categories, uh, he comes now to a final category that the Lord indicts and declares impending judgment to. And we see that in verse 6. Them that have turned back from the Lord, those that have not sought the Lord, nor inquired for him. 
Palmer Robertson in his commentary notes here that there's a movement from, you could say, sins of commission to sins of omission. Uh, Here we have uh, those uh, among the Old Testament covenant people who, who were not engaged necessarily in Baal worship, not engaged in in a flagrant open syncretism, but those who were simply living life, maybe going up to the temple on occasion, uh, participating outwardly in religious habits, but their hearts had turned back from following the Lord. They weren't really seeking the Lord, inquiring of Him. Again, as we think about this part of the passage in the Lord's indictment. We know we all stand convicted, don't we? Uh, The heart pursuit of communion with God, uh, the, the, the richness, the beauty of what the Lord has called us into, that we can come into His presence through the great sacrifice of His Son that we're welcomed into. And yet, how quickly we can be exactly like what is mentioned here cooling off spiritually, simply going through rote motions, not really seeking the Lord and His presence with our hearts, uh, but simply walking through our days and having put other things really into priority in busyness or whatever it may be. The Lord brings this sober warning, this sober indictment. If we are honest, these indictments include us. Well, verse 7, Zephaniah now, in a sense, having gathered the people, having brought the indicting word of the Lord against them, calls them and us now to be silent. The King James translates it, hold thy peace. You could also say, be silent before the Lord God in the presence of the Lord God. It's this call to, to be still, to be silent. It's maybe an echo, Psalm 46, be still and know that I am the Lord. It also reminds us of Revelation 8, 1, when the Lamb has opened the seventh seal of the judgments, the unfolding of uh, the Lord's uh, great providences and reign over history. There was silence in heaven for half an hour, complete silence, bated breath, waiting to hear. And what do we read in verse 7? For the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has bid his guests. So the language of sacrifice here. Again, Palmer Robertson's commentary on this passage is very helpful as he uh, brings in the other themes of Scripture. And he notes that uh, in Scripture, God's justice always comes through sacrifice. There's sacrifice that takes place. Uh, There must be a a sacrifice. That sacrifice uh, takes place in, in two ways. Either it's the Lord's provided sacrifice, so beautifully pictured through the whole ceremonial system of the Old Testament, fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. Justice fulfilled in sacrifice. And uh, for all who come to Christ, marvelously, 
the full justice that their sins deserve, that incredible eternal weight, that consuming fire of justice, satisfied in the sacrifice of Christ. But here there's a different sacrifice. The Lord has called guests. The Lord has called those to come. And here there's a justice that also comes through the shedding of blood because the wages of sin are death. And so we see this unfolded before us by the Lord. Verse 8, And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children, and all such are clothed with strange apparel. Now, the judgment, the day of the Lord's sacrifice is going to come with this punishment, uh, this weight of judgment that begins with the leadership. Uh, the leadership among the covenant people. In this case, the princes, the kings. And again, as we think of New Testament echoes of this, we think of what the Lord says in his word. Let not many of you become teachers. And knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. Now, there's a weightiness there that comes with the call to leadership before the Lord. And the Lord expresses here his judgment on those who have led. And uh, there seems here the clothed with strange apparel, with foreign gar- garments or clothing, a tie-in again with, with outward manifestations of the, the paganism, of the rebellion against God that has filled the hearts of those who have led. It's interesting as well, the punishment of the princes, the king's children, if this is, this is given in Josiah's day, this is speaking to the coming generation. A sober warning. The same day I will punish those who leap on the threshold, the practice of jumping over thresholds of temples and paganism. Those who fill masters' houses with violence and deceit. So this judgment coming forward. In verse 10, And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord, shall be a noise of a cry from the fish gate, a howling from the second, a great crashing from the hills. Howl, you inhabitants of Mektesh, for all the merchant people are cut down, and they that bear silver are cut off. And it shall come to pass at that time, I will search Jerusalem with candles, and punish the men that are settled on their leaves that say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. The Lord is stretching out his hand. We read that in verse 4. Stretching out his hand, his active judgment is coming upon his church. And this is coming in present time, in real time. This is something that will come, the Lord says, and it's going to come upon the city of Jerusalem. And we know Zephaniah prophesied contemporaneous with Jeremiah. These things unfolded very physically, visibly, actually, really. The Lord warns of this. This is what is coming because of your rebellion. There will be cries in this city. Uh, the city that uh, so many uh, rested in complacently. You know, the Lord won't do good, neither will he do evil. 
It's a sober reminder of uh, what the Lord says as well in the book of Revelation, uh, where our Lord Jesus Christ uh, warns that he may remove the candlestick if there's not a repentance among the body of his people. And these words, as we think of ourselves and again of our churches, of our place before him in our generation, are their words meant for us as well? The Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, The word of the Lord abides and endures. And if this is uh, the Lord who is so good, full of love and mercy and holiness and justice, if this is what he brought about to the inhabitants of his covenant community in these days, he's no different today brothers and sisters. He's the same. He's holy. He is just. The Lord's judgment is thorough. He's he's going to send those who will search out Jerusalem with candles. A picture here, reading a little while ago, of the Taliban going from house to house searching. It's what the Babylonians did when they came into the city. They went from house to house with torches and candles and sought out the people, those who had lived in complacency. The language of Deuteronomy 28 is here. Uh, Their goods will become a booty, their houses a desolation. They shall build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink the wine thereof. Oh, they'd been blessed richly in the Lord's goodness. Uh, They were still enjoying the fruits of his blessings as they were able to plant vineyards and build homes. Their hearts had been ensnared in their love for the gifts of God, and they have forgotten their great God and Savior. The great day of the Lord is near, verse 14. It is near, and it hastes greatly. It is coming quickly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord and the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. Again, the the reality of what unfolded as the Babylonians conquered the city of Jerusalem, the mighty men of Jerusalem, the men who were, you know, no doubt, uh, well-armed in their homes, the Navy SEALs of the day, uh, crying out as the Lord's judgment came upon the city. Verse 15, that day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against fenced cities and against the high towers. The repetition here, it's, it's poetic, it's beautiful, it's vivid. But this day, the day of the Lord, this day, this day, this day that is coming. And the picture is not only, of course, of what took place in Judah and Jerusalem. It's meant to teach us. The Lord gives us his word that we might, we might know him more fully. That we might see him, that we might be called to repentance. And the reality of that is also brought out as verse 18. Their silver and gold is not able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land, and the translation there could be really the whole earth, 
shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he shall make a speedy riddance of them that dwell in the land. Peter, we read, there are some who say, where is the coming of the Lord? It will never come. Things will stay the way they are. What Zephaniah says here is the same as what Peter says by the Spirit. The Lord will judge this earth the second time by fire. He will bring just judgment upon all of mankind, cosmically, ultimately, and finally. Well, as we think about these verses, as we think about the passage of what the Lord gives us here for us in his word, several things we want to draw out. First of all, where is, where is our Lord Jesus Christ here? How, how is he pointed to? How is he displayed? Well, I think first of all, we need to realize that this is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his word. When we turn to the New Testament, if you read the parable of the, the tares of the field in Matthew 13, we see our Lord Jesus Christ cites from Zephaniah about the, the removal of both the stumbling block and the wicked in his judgment, in his just judgment. And we can see that theme not only in the Gospels as our Lord speaks of the coming day of judgment, which he does often, but also through the epistles. I think of Thessalonians, the book of Revelation. This theme is a significant theme of Scripture. The Lord's holy justice come upon this world. A warning is gracious. The Lord gives this warning in loving mercy. Uh, He did not allow his covenant people in the days of Zephaniah and Jeremiah to be without his word. He brought prophets to them. He brought gracious warning, gracious call to repentance. And we don't know the exact timing again in the ministry of Josiah. Was this as well what helped spur Josiah on Zephaniah's ministry during his own lifetime in growing repentance and faith in the Lord and new obedience to him? We know the Lord's word doesn't return to him void. I think even the days, the hard days, the ministry of Jeremiah, there's still some other believers there around him, even in the midst of experiencing the temporal judgments of the Lord on Judah and Jerusalem. So certainly we see here this this great call of our Lord and Savior to repent of sin, to be careful in our walk, to walk humbly with him. Certainly also marvelously points us ahead uh, to the reality of what takes place on the cross, where that great and mighty cataclysmic cosmic judgment takes place that our Lord Jesus bears himself. Bears himself in the same context, the same region, the same location of Jerusalem and Judah. Well, as we look at this passage, there is also uh, other implication and application for us. There's an urgency, brothers and sisters. 
uh, to our lives here. There's an urgency. The Lord's judgments are worked out in the earth right now. And his great judgment is coming. Every time a hearse goes to a cemetery with the remains of an unconverted person, that's a sober judgment of the Lord. The graveyards that we drive by are reminders of that. When we read of cataclysmic events, of earthquakes, or famines, or storms, or wars with multiple deaths, again, in the light of God's word, should be reminded the Lord is removing people from this earth in holy justice and judgment. Yes, for his people, it's a marvelous entrance into glory. He carries them through. They're sober. There's a foreshadowing. There's an echo in advance of what is to come. And so what urgency we should have both to love our Savior, uh, to walk close to him, to delight in him, to heed his calls to repentance, but also what urgency we should have for those around us, for children, for friends, for siblings, for neighbors, the lost around us. Brothers and sisters, we know what is coming. We don't know it fully. We really can't comprehend the fullness of it. But we know it. The Lord has revealed it to us. He's giving it to us. That we would know. And that we would have an urgency as we think of ourselves and those around us. Finally, there's also marvelous comfort in this for the Lord's people. Marvelous comfort in looking to Christ and knowing that justice and judgment are fully satisfied and that, yes, the Lord may discipline us and chastise us in this life, but the judgment is fully met in the Lord Jesus Christ. But also marvelous comfort in the reality that God's holiness and justice mean that the wickedness and evil of this world have divinely appointed bounds and limits, and an end beyond which they will never go. And this marvelous comfort as we meditate on the holy justice of God that both makes us tremble and should comfort us as we're in Christ uh, should again help us in that it should remove from us more and more as we meditate on it, the fear of men. You know, we see reports in the news of the Taliban, or, or maybe you think of reports in the news in North America of Antifa, the radical leftists, and their, their violence uh, towards Christians as well at times. We maybe fear persecutions. We fear the hostility of this world. Brothers, God is God. He is the one who reigns. And those who are in great danger are not his children, not those who trust in him. The persecutors of the church are the ones in a deadly and terrifying place. And that should move us with compassion 
and give us great reason uh, to pray, uh, to seek to do what we can to further the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to use the precious days that he's given us here in our studies, in our preparation, in the current spheres he's given us, and wherever he leads us, that we would proclaim all that his word has to say and both faithfully warn and also lovingly call and encourage and comfort in the whole counsel of his word. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, as we bow before you, we confess that we so often live with much sin intertwined in our own hearts and lives, with the same kind of spirit of complacency that you graciously and in holiness warn your people against here. Lord, we thank you for this word which is given not only for Judah and Jerusalem, but which you have given for us. We thank you, Lord, that in your grace and mercy you have not left us without hearing uh, the riches of your word, including uh, your great counsel of warning and of the reality of your coming and holy judgments. Lord, we pray that you would use this, your word, to loosen us from sin, uh, from our love for the stuff of this world, when it has become idolatrous. We pray that you would graciously use this, your word, to marvel all the more at your great work, O Lord Jesus, as our Savior. Be filled with reverence and awe and deep gratitude to love you more. Lord, we pray that you would teach us your ways. We pray, Lord, that you would keep us and deliver us from being those who would mingle evil and wickedness. And, and, and Lord, keep us from ever being those who would lead uh, your people astray. Lord, we pray, use us rather as instruments in your hand, as your servants, even as you are pleased to use Zephaniah. And to the glory of your name, to the salvation of sinners, and to the praise and honor of your name, not only here, but for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.